Round 10 saw the Hawthorne AFLW team take on the Fremantle Dockers in their second interstate away game for the season. While the result at the end of the game wasn't what the girls were hoping for, there were lots of memorable moments that came out of this game. On this week's episode, Liam and myself delve deep into the game itself, while also having a special guest, one of the Hawthorne AFLW stars from this season, Tamara Smith, joining us on the podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Soaring to New Heights, which is the AFLW podcast that looks at the Hawthorne AFLW team in their inaugural season. My name is Tim, and as per normal, Liam. Liam, how are you going this evening? Very well, Tim, but we're not half of this podcast each today. Tonight, we're only a third of it each. So I'll let you introduce why that's the case. That's correct, Liam. So we actually have a guest on the podcast this evening. The, she was... Uh, top five in the tacklers in the AFLW this season with 83 tackles from her 10 games and an average of 8.3 tackles per game. One of the first 21 women to ever wear the brown and gold in the AFLW. And that was in our first game against Essendon at Marvel Stadium. It was a woman who was inexplicably overlooked in multiple drafts, playing for Richmond and Geelong in the VFLW before finally signing for the Hawks as a pre-list signing. This season, she is ranked in the top five at Hawthorne for contested possessions. While she might be small in stature, she is huge in heart. She's one half of our terrific tiny tees. Welcome, Tamara Smith. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, if you'd like that burnt onto a CD or anything like yeah. that, please let us know and we'll happily do so. Quite the introduction. <laughs> no, no prizes for guessing the other about tiny tees, by the way. <laughs> no prizes. Oh. Who, how many is it? Just the two, the two, two tiny T's, the two tackling machines. Tilly, Tilly's got to be the other one. <laughs> that, that is correct. It is Tilly. We actually we had a podcast with Tilly during the week, and we asked yeah. her one of the, we asked her a question that we're going to ask you later on. Okay, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not we get the same response from you okay. as we did from Tilly. <laughs> I'm intrigued. All right, so let's have a look at the round ten game against Fremantle. Now it was the second time tomorrow that the team had been interstate, and both teams had been recent victims of the Henson Park health hazard. We know that both teams have played it. Uh, how does the routine change for you when you play interstate? Um, it's, yeah, I know personally for me, I like to relax a lot on game day. Um, I don't particularly get up to much. Um, so, you know, having to kind of go places, like go somewhere for brekkie, go somewhere for lunch and things like that. Um, those you a bit out of routine. But it's just talking, you have to just kind of talk to the support staff around you about what you need on game day, um, you know, and what will help you perform your best. I know particularly like going to WA this time around, they're three hours behind us. Um, so it's kind of out of whack. You know, you're getting tired at 7 p.m. Um, because your body's still in Melbourne time. Um, yeah, so especially for us younger girls or girls who are new to the competition, it's just about kind of figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you you pretty much just treated it if it were a seven o'clock game in terms of your preparation because it was, an, it was a, obviously it was four o'clock Perth time which was still only seven o'clock Melbourne time did you just treat it as if you know what we're just going to almost discard time difference and just act as if it's a seven o'clock game did you almost do that or do you actually try and adjust to the time a bit uh I personally tried to think about it like that and because we'd played a seven ten game the week before I thought that was probably the best way to go about it for me. 
Um, but yeah, it's hard to like, because you're working around like the hotel, like what time they serve meals and things like that. Um, but like our dietitian, our support staff are superstars. Like they had so many things, like so many avenues around it, like having takeaway boxes available so you could go down and grab a meal and eat it later and things like that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I treated it like a seven ten game. I can't speak for the rest of the girls. It's fantastic to hear about how the support staff were certainly on hand to support during that second interstate trip for this season. So for this week's game, there was the four changes. Obviously, Bridget Deed came in, Sophie Locke. We also had uh, Kate McCarthy and a friend of the show, Lou Stevenson, who returned from injury. Uh, And we saw Fleming and Everest out for exams. Good luck to those two girls, as well as to Bridie Hipwell, to Laura Elliott and Charlotte Baskerin, who did play uh, due to her different timetable. Uh, And then there was Janet Baird and Zoe Barbacos, who were omitted. Throughout the week, did you know what the setup was going to look like? no not really (laughs) it's hard when you have um young girls that are such a fundamental part of your team um and obviously thinking long term you know it's you can't really sacrifice their exams um for footy as much as I'm sure they wanted to play and as much as we all wanted them to play um you've got to start thinking kind of long term um so yeah it was we didn't really know how it was going to work or who was going to come in and go out and things like that. So, yeah, it's a, obviously it's, it's a major moment. I work as a VCE tutor, Tim is a teacher. So we are, we are, neither of us are going to argue with putting a priority on your exams. So, but um, just moving on to the, to the game a little bit more, how windy was it there? Cause on, on TV, it certainly looked like it played a fair role. Yeah. How did it play at, at the ground? Cause I mean, we weren't in Perth, so. Yeah, it was um, almost like the game we played against West Coast where the wind was quite going down one way. Um, I think they call it the Perth Doctor. Fremantle Doctor, yep. The Fremantle Doctor, yeah. So, um, and it was quite swirly in the middle. Like it wasn't just a a straight down the middle wind. It was quite swirly. Um, Yeah, but lucky for us, we've trained at Box Hill a fair bit. So um, we're not exactly strangers to to non-perfect conditions um yeah i think the last time you played at box it was in torrential rain <laughs> yes yeah i uh yeah it poured down in the warm-up yeah yeah that, that was a horrible day weather. <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> we were standing next to each other and it was um that was not a pleasant day in fact in fact i wrote in my article about lucy wales it was a, a day very well suited to ducks not so much rucks but yeah, <laughs> very true, very true. Now, it was Jess Duffin's last game, so it was Soggy Swansong. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't get over the line. How was it after the game in the change rooms? It was, uh, like, obviously sombre. Like, we lost the game, um, and obviously we, everyone knew it was Duff's last game, but it was also a celebration of the year that we had had, um, obviously being a new side, and we didn't know how we were going to go um, realistically. So, and especially having such a young list and things like that. So um, as much as it was somber and, you know, disappointing not to win and Duff's leaving and who is a huge trailblazer for the game. um, It was really a celebration of of the progress we've made throughout the year and, and a celebration for what's happened and what's yet to come. 
yeah, I think this um this list looks to have a very bright future. As you know, just I've, we've been running the numbers on it all season. You know, six percent and never played an AFLW game before yourself being one. Like yeah, even if some of the players who are a bit older aren't going to be there, I'd I'd imagine they played a big role in terms of guidance though as well. I can imagine Soggy and the rest of the more experienced players were pretty important as role models and leaders around the club, even if they may not be there when this group is competing more with the Brisbane's and Melbourne's in a few years time, but how much of a role did she play at the club in terms of supporting younger and less experienced players, especially because she's also a lot of people may not realize this. She's one of the best cricketers we produced in a generation as well. Yeah. She's a huge role model um, to all the girls, young and old, anyone at the club. Uh, and we are so fortunate, like so, so fortunate. Um, I remember when I, when AFLW first started, she was one of my, and still is one of my favourite players. Um, so, yeah, huge just to have people like her at the club because this first year is the foundation for the years to come. So for those girls to come in and set the standards and set the culture um, and that's able to grow for the next few years. Like we've got girls on our list who are going to be at the club for years to come and they'll be able to carry that legacy that, that these girls have and they've been at different clubs so you know like Duff has been at three different clubs so she knows what you know what makes an AFLW club work and what doesn't so she can bring the best to our club to lay in the foundation so we're so fortunate to have role models uh, like that at the club. It's fantastic to hear that we had such wonderful people there helping to set up what seemed from the outside to be this incredibly tremendous inclusive welcoming culture which is what you really want especially in the foundation news uh, this week with the tackle count it was the second time that the team had lost the tackle count throughout the year uh, it was something that you the team as, as a whole had become uh, I guess a hallmark for the team in terms of the amount of tackles laid uh, this week yourself and the other tiny t made seven apiece and you both came in the top five for tacklers so we, we have two questions to ask on this and we asked tilly these two so uh, the first question is, was there a competition between the two of you to see who could make the most tackles? And the, <laughs> and the second question is, is it true that you have an issue with champion data in terms of what constitutes a tackle? <laughs> Look, I did tell Tilly before the game that every time she tackled, I was going to come in and lay a tackle to get a stat. Um, so... I don't know if all her tackles were my tackles as well. Um, you know, I... Well, I always make about Tamara tackling a puppy if it turned up in the wrong jump as not as inaccurate as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I am quite competitive, so I think in my head it was a competition. Um, and I lost by one, so um, next year. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, I would say in my head there was competition, but I don't think there actually was a competition. Um, you, sorry, I was going to say, while you said there that you did lose by one, you also have equaled the top tackles for a player in their first season of AFLW. So while you may have lost the competition yeah. with Tilly, you've set a record that Tilly didn't own. Yes, I may have lost the battle, but I won the war. No. <laughs> um, and yes, I am. would like to speak with Champion Data as to how they count their tackles um, because quite often I come off the game, out of the game, and I think I've laid quite a few and then 
Um, there's not as many markdown as I thought. I think I might have to start marking them on my hand when I tackle, just just to make sure they're getting them right. I can add it to the list. My my list of gripes with the AFLW stats keepers is um as Tim would know from this podcast long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would like I would like to see a definition of a tackle, but maybe I'll send it to the PA and they they can <laughs> sort out that issue. Um, yeah, you get yeah. I'm sorry. So, yeah, no, no, you're. So, in terms of the game, uh, we look at some moments now that that we saw sort of throughout the game. Obviously, uh, Duff kicked the first and the final goal in her swan swan song, which yeah. is incredible. If we look back to this season, the the first goal that we had kicked was by Sophie Locke. You know, truly tremendous, uh, momentous occasion for Sophie, especially after the devastating loss that that had occurred a few weeks previously. And then obviously in the final game for Duff to kick not only the first goal in the last game, both incredible moments for the club in their inaugural season. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, that's the thing I think about footy and particularly the AFLW is it's just so much bigger than the game. Like, obviously we're all there because we love it and we're passionate about footy, but you know, the moments like that is just, you know, it's incredible and it's amazing and it shows how supportive and just, you know, it's not something that you can, like, you wouldn't read about it, but it happened. It's it's just like it's meant to be. It's written in the stars that those things are going to happen. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, they were, um, you couldn't have handpicked a better option for the first goal for than Sophie Locke for the season, and then I wouldn't have thought, given the circumstances. And obviously it was terrific seeing Soggy in her, kick the first and last goal of her final game. Uh, something that, that stood out to me was, the movement, like Anya McDonough's movement as well. Like she's since she's come into the side, she's her size and mobility has been a real asset. And she, I, I noticed in the second quarter especially that she was really rolling up a long way up the ground. She didn't take any centre bounces, but she was rolling up and pretty much playing as a de facto ruck for a period of time. So how how is that being involved with as you know? Because obviously you've been roving to Lucy Wales a lot this season, who's been exceptional. As anyone who listens to this podcast well knows, my views on her. <laughs> But how is that working with Anya McDonough as she rolled up? How is it? How is it? How's her and how's her mobility really been an asset to the side as well? Because it certainly looks to have been from the outside. Yeah, it's been it's so awesome when you have girls that are not only coming into a new team but a new sport and just like Anya's willingness to just someone says to do something and she just is like, oh yeah, I'll do it. Just no no second thought about it. Um, and for her to come into the rock is huge because like it's not an easy role and it's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. Um, so for her just to, to, you know, take like just roll with it and just get the job done, I think is awesome. And, you know, obviously Lucy, like Pendles does give us such good looks at it. Um, but just for Anya to be in there and compete and have the contest in the air, like it makes everyone's lives easier. And I think, yeah, just her willingness to to accept any role she's given is a huge testament to who she is. She's certainly come a long way throughout this season. We were there at her first game <laughs> against the Bulldogs where I think she laid three tackles. I think she had two possessions. And while she was sort of trying to get involved, you could see first time playing AFLW that it was certainly a very difficult task to be able to play at the highest level and then seeing how far she's come. Correct conditions for a tall player. Yeah, that's correct. As yeah. Someone, it was always tall when I played, well, and just in general. Um, 
they are horrific conditions. Like you can't mark the football. Yeah. You, like your ability to actually use your size in the air is pretty much redundant. And you're just praying that everyone else is slowed down to your pace. But yeah. you know, that's no different with McDonough because she's should be in the quicker half of our plays. I think she's incredibly mobile for her size. Yeah. Now, speaking of the... On your tie matchup as well, which we obviously saw how difficult she is as a matchup. But I, I personally, I don't know if you can see that or not as well. Like, I, I can see Onya McDonough doing a lot of what Onya Ty did to us on the weekend in the very near future. So I don't know if you agree on that. But... Yeah, definitely. I think as she gets to know the game and that, um, you know, the flow of the game and more structures and things like that, I think she'll be a utility for sure. Speaking of Onya's pace, we want to look at two players in the third quarter who both put on the, the Jets. Uh, and it was Gilly and Big Boy when they put on the Jets to kick those goals in the third quarter. Who would win a 40-metre sprint out of the two of those? I don't know. Uh, I reckon they'd be on par with each other. Maybe Big Boy. Maybe she'd get out in front, I think. I'd back Big Boy in. Because we were saying that watching it on TV, it, the minute that the two of those turn it into like a track meet or a race, it's good night, game over. Oh. The, the sheer pace that they have. Bloody unreal. You just kick it to grass and you, that's not my problem anymore. One of the one of the fast girls will get there. So, yeah, it's been awesome to have them in the team um, and to have assets like that. If someone's faster than you, there's really not much you can do. So, yeah, that's been awesome. Speaking of kicking to grass, I believe it was your kick in the Sydney Swan game out to Big Boy who picked up one-handed. It was led to a Akesh sidestepping, who then put it into space for the second of our speedsters, ran in to kick that momentous goal that, that obviously sealed uh, the first victory. Yeah, I think that's the first time anyone's ever given me credit for that kick. So <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, no, it was, it's good. Like, it's nice to know that we're getting to the stage where we can just kick it to space um, or kick it, you know, to an area and we know that our teammate is going to be there um, or going to get there. So I think that is going to be our, one of our biggest assets moving forward. So, yeah, it's been awesome. Well, speed's also one of the hardest assets to counter as well because you can, you can often you can counter good kicking to a degree by matching up well. You, you can't counter speed because you just can't go with a player. Yeah, exactly right. Now, on Saturday night, obviously, Jasmine Fleming was out. It looked like Charlotte Baskerin was given more of a license through the midfield and obviously more time and more responsibility. She played a hand in the last goal, obviously Jess Duffin's goal, where she took on through the middle, had a bounce, was able to handball and were able to kick the goal. How have you noticed Charlotte's game throughout this season? It's just, I just can't believe that she's 17. Like, to me, that's crazy. Um, and just confidence, like, you know, obviously when you come into the AFL, especially when you're that young, you don't really know where you sit. You don't really know what you can do, what you can't do. And I think just her ability to, to use her strengths, like her speed and her agility um, and to drive out of contests and things like that really grew throughout the year. And I think, like you said, her having more license on the weekend um, gave her the opportunity to really show off her show off that asset and you know as she develops she'll just continue to grow it um, and she'll just keep adding strings to her bow really um, so for her to have a foundation that's 
this is her first year of AFL and for her to already be at such a high standard, I'm really excited to see where she's going to go. We hope that the NAB Rising Star board has been watching. Certainly, certainly deserves that nomination. Yeah, I've been watching the other games and I'm not not as impressed with any of the other youngsters as I was with Carol. So, Disclaimer, no one on this podcast is claiming to be impartial. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So now what we'll do is we're going to have a look at some of the players that stood out on the weekend. Uh, and the first one we're going to touch on is our captain, so Tilly Lucas-Rod. So Tilly on the weekend had the 26 disposals, seven tackles, six clearances, kicked a goal. So great captain's goal. Uh, 235 metres gained and attended 13 out of the 18 centre bounces on the weekend. In terms of Tilly, not only was she able to put on the defensive pressures, we know made seven tackles, which was one short of the leading tackler, uh, which was Carol on the weekend, uh, but then also able to get the the pill as well and certainly those clearances. How have you found working with Tilly throughout this season in the midfield? Yeah, amazing. Um, She's had more midfield experience than the rest of us combined. So it's been amazing to have her in there. Um, She's got such a good balance between you know, learning and growing and like, you know, better than that. So she's found a really nice balance between, you know, when to be a bit lenient and when to be encouraging and when to just be like, nah, this is AFL. You've got to be better than that, um, which I find awesome. And I, she's just been such a role model. She never asked us to do anything that she wouldn't do herself. Um, and yeah, always leading from the front. Yeah, like she's um yeah she's been a real standout and obviously is leading that midfield. Just to give you an idea, she only missed twenty of our centre bounces all season. Like she attended, and these are only the ones with the results. So I've removed a couple from this data set that I've produced. Um, she attended one hundred and eleven. So clearly, she's leading that midfield by through actions as well as words. So what's it like? Because of the seventy-one you attended, you were there with you were with her fifty-three times. So. What's it, what's it like being in there with her and then without her as well? What how does, how does that feel different for you? Because often often you two do get staggered. There was only two all season where neither of you attended. So yeah, I just I think she's just so good at using her communication and obviously she's a really good leader. She's our captain, so she's really good at kind of delegating. Um, and she's not selfish at all. So it's never that she's always the one getting the ball and we're just there to, to block for her or to make sure she gets it. She's, you know, gives us opportunities to be first to the footy and things like that. Um, and just, yeah, such a smart player. Um, yeah, such a smart player, such a selfless player. And, you know, when she's not in there, I think our average age drops quite a bit. <laughs> so, um, and our experience drops quite a bit. Well, it pretty much so, goes to non-existent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she played fifty games. Pretty much the sole ruck. Yeah, well, she's played fifty games, and I think between Lucy, Charlotte, Jazz, and myself, we've played thirty-nine. So <laughs> she brings a lot of experience. Well, then you had Bridget in there as well, who also hadn't played a game before. Exactly. So um, for a couple of weeks, and Lou missed most of the season. So. Yeah, so she just brings, you know, leadership, experience and just 
you know, leads leads from the front every week. But um, anyway, enough about your captain and on to Tamara Smith. <laughs> there, are, there are more players after this. So when I watched the game, the first thing that stood out to me was your third quarter, which we'll come to in a second. But you had 11 disposals, seven tackles, ranked third for metres gained with 259, only two players ahead of you who will not surprise you at all, Aileen Gilroy and yeah. Catherine Brown. Like the, the, that's no surprise. Catherine Brown no almost surprise. Catherine Brown almost gets that on three kicks. Um, <laughs> and you, like Tilly, also went to thirteen of the eighteen centre bounces. So, how did you find your game, especially your third quarter? Because in that quarter, I think you laid four tackles on its own, on their, on, their, on your own, just in that quarter, and you had about six of your disposals in that quarter. So, how how, how was that quarter? What what made that feel a bit? Did that feel different to any of your others, or? Um, maybe it was, that was the third quarter. I think the first and the third quarter were going f- with the wind. So maybe that's what, um, maybe that's what gave me a bit of an advantage. Uh, nah, what do they say? Third quarter's premiership quarter. So I guess that's generally when you got to leave it all out on the ground. Um, you know, with the wind, we want to get in front. We want to give ourselves the best opportunity in the last quarter to, to win realistically. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I don't think there's anything particularly different that I did. Maybe I just had more opportunity. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was just saving myself the whole game for the third quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think there's anything particularly different. Maybe Frio had lost their legs a little bit and we were able to stay with them. Um, yeah, but I don't think there's anything particularly. Maybe it's after the halftime break when I've had my lolly snakes, then I'm ready to go again. <laughs> I think it's certain. I love the way you spoke about it being the premiership quarter because hopefully in the next few years, as we see the team continue to develop, uh, we'll be pushing the likes of the Adelaides and the Melbournes and the Brisbane's uh, and being able to see you as part of the first ever Hawthorne AFLW premiership team, which would be wonderful. Yeah, I would hope so. But. <laughs> Definitely, like, the first year we've had has just been amazing and the standards we've set and the foundations we've laid, I'm just, like, we're only going up. So I'm bloody excited. As supporters, we're incredibly excited. <laughs> right. uh, the next player we want to touch on is the Energizer Bunny, which is Cash, Caitlin Ashmore. She had the 18 disposals, six marks, four tackles. Uh, the first centre bounce that she'd attended all season as well, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah I had to create a whole new data set, which was an absolute pain. So thanks, Ben. <laughs> we do have a question for you about Cash. Now, obviously, on a weekly basis, we watch her running from wing to wing, back to half back, back to full back, all the way to full forward. How many GPS has she broken this season? In um, one of our games... She had over one kilometre in six plus running, which is like six plus is hard to hit. Um, So she's just a bloody machine. Um, And like, she's actually just a beast. And um, if she hasn't broken a GPS, I'd honestly be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's so selfless with the way she just goes about it. Um, I don't know many people who would, run up and down the wing all day and not have a whinge about it. So the way she just goes about her footy and um, always does the team thing and obviously is getting reward for it. Um, you know, 18 disposals is is awesome and her leadership and experience that she brings each week um, is, yeah, a really, really 
big foundation for our team. You can only imagine how fit her prep class would be. I can imagine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. They don't know how good they've got it. <laughs> yeah. Based on an interview I heard with her, she, she might actually win if she weren't allowed to run up and down the wing all day. So. Oh, I, look, if she's happy to do it, I'll, I'll stick to the bottom of the packs so if she owns the wing. <laughs> that, um, someone else's problem. Yeah. <laughs> so we move on from Caitlin to another player who we've already talked about a little bit, uh, Anya McDonough. So early in the game, I, I actually put a comment up, like one of the things, she was having much more of an impact than the stat sheet initially suggested. She was running around, creating a contest. She wasn't getting beaten one-on-one. She was neutralizing a lot of work. But then second and third quarter, late in the second and through the third quarter, she was starting to get a bit more reward on the stat sheet. So, you know, she had 11 disposals, two marks, a goal, uh, a direct goal assist. In fact, I put up that tweet and then a few minutes later, she had a goal and a goal assist within three minutes. <laughs> so um, I claim no credit for that, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah, three hitouts, two marks. One, one of the one of her best games of the season. So We've already talked about her a bit, so probably won't spend too long here. But how 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 did you find her game, both earlier on when she was not so much not so much on the stat sheet, but still having an influence, and then as she really got into it with getting a bit more of the football, how how was that just to work around? And because obviously was, you were quite close to her as well, because you tend to drift forward. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It's so hard when you're playing as a forward or, or anywhere on the ground really, and you're not getting reward. You know, you do a lot of work that doesn't earn you a stat. Um, but it's a testament to her to keep that work up, you know, the little blocks, the um, does the running, the sacrificial running and stuff like that. Um, so obviously she did get rewarded for it in the end um, and was able to bring herself into the game, which is awesome, and get rewarded with a goal. So, yeah, even, you know, it's easy to get stuck on the stat sheet and this girl got this many touches and this many tackles and blah, blah, blah. But the, the work you do without the ball, huge. And um, she's a, yeah, she's a big one for that. Sounds like we have an absolute gem there in terms of Anya, who hopefully uh, next season in the AFLW will just continue to grow uh, her game based on what we've seen this season. Now, moving from the Galway girl to the Mayo Marvel, <laughs> that's uh, Aileen Gilroy. Gilly had the 14 disposals, of which 13 were kicks, seven tackles, two marks, uh, 360 metres gained, as well as that goal where she ran into the open goal square and was able to soccer it through. How have you found Gilly's game this season? Similar to Cash, she appears to sort of pop up absolutely everywhere and, and doesn't seem to run out of any energy throughout the game. Yeah, quite often um, as midfielders, we'll get a tap on the shoulder um, and Gilly will say, go forward, I'm going in the midfield. Um, but when Gilly says, this is what's happening, you just do it because... <laughs> She's got a crazy plan in her mind and nine times out of 10, it works. But yeah, her ability just to, to swing forward in the mids, create contests, just, she just brings a spark of energy um, and, you know, gets everyone else up and about when she does it. So yeah. And, you know, throughout the year, we've learned how each other play and each other's strengths and weaknesses. And I think uh, that's, you know, us learning how Gilly plays has allowed us to play to her advantage, um, which is, you know, a testament to her in that she plays such an electric brand of footy. Um, But, yeah, she's definitely just gone up and up all year. You might say she's been soaring to new heights. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why I plug the podcast on the show, but... (laughs) (laughs) 
So return to someone who's from a bit closer to home, uh, childhood Hawthorne supporter, Bridget Deed. So she was back in the side. Her, her first half to me was exceptional. Um, offered, you know, she's a strong body around the stoppage. To me, she reminds me a lot of Sam Mitchell in the way she plays. Her, to me, her short range kicking is as good as we've got at the club. Uh, Tamara and Tim are both nodding, so <laughs> probably accurate. So she went, she, she attended the most centre bounces of anyone who wasn't named Lucy Wales. Uh, 10 disposals, three marks, two tackles, two clearances. Um, Tilly commented in the interview she did with Tim during the week. Um, find that episode, if you just scroll down Spotify a bit. Um, on Bridget's work rate and desire to get better and improve. Have you, have you noticed that as well? Is she, is she someone who stands out in terms of work ethic and effort at training and all that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just her ability, like particularly in the game on the weekend, um, to communicate and use her voice and use her strengths in the game is um, is a huge. My computer just died. Oh no! <laughs> That's how we just finished up Brid Deed and started talking about Lucy Wales. Um, if you've ever listened to this show before, I can talk about Lucy Wales all day. <laughs> so might let you talk about her because I'll get in trouble otherwise. Because I mean, I've already inter I interviewed her during the week. She's interviewed them. Um, yeah, anyone who's read my Twitter account or listened to this podcast knows my views on her very well as someone who's been driving the bandwagon vociferously and aggressively since round, about round two. So, um, what, yeah, what, what, how did you find Lucy Wales both this weekend and this season? Because she was really thrown to the sharks in round two and has Pendles. just adapted magnificently. Yeah, we love Pendles. And just, the, um, you know, she was pretty quiet at the start of the season um, and just went about her business and just the way she's grown um, and has been able to demand more out of us because she's been giving us really good looks in the midfield. Um, so for her then to kind of say, well, I'm giving you guys good looks, so you need to do better, has been a huge growth in her game. Um, and, yeah, just her ability to run out pretty much all of a game. She's 19, and I don't think any other ruck in the comms done that. So, yeah, just incredible. Just to give, to give you a stat for that, since Tamara Luke's injury at the start of round two, she has not attended four centre bounces. In yeah. effectively nine weeks of football, yeah. first season, 19 years old, playing the ruck, which I will vouch for is not the easiest position to play, missed four centre bounces in effectively nine weeks. Just, just to give you a stat for that, that's... um. Yeah, that's, that's quite a remarkable effort. And to play as well as she has, because she must be absolutely exhausted. If I'm sure if we asked her, like, she'd be absolutely wrecked. Yeah, I'd agree. She, she's been, yeah, she's, as, well, yeah. I, I talk about a lot on this show and with good reason, because she has <laughs> adapted incredibly well to that role. Liam can wax lyrical about Pendles for <laughs> a few years, I reckon. There's a few yeah. things I can talk about positively, but with, my bias towards the ruck in general and having watched how she's adapted to it, yes. <laughs> so now after looking at the players, we'll move on to our best and fairest votes. Now this week is a very difficult set of votes to be able to do. So in terms of the system, we each independently vote similar to the coaches' votes. So five being the player on the ground that we think has the most influence all the way down to one. And then we will have our awards night coming soon where we'll announce the winner of the inaugural soaring to New Heights Player of the Year. Uh, so this week, Tilly Lucas-Rod received the 10 votes. Uh, Cash got eight votes. Aileen Gilroy, six. 
Charlotte Baskerin, three votes, and then Anya McDonough also got three votes. So in terms of that, there was a split there between Liam and myself as to who received two votes and who received one vote. You, you and Lucy, I was, I was almost physically sick trying to work out the one and the two. <laughs> you and Lucy, the other two. It was that and round seven were so hard to award votes for. It was, you, yeah, you, Lucy, Anya, Charlotte, I would have had almost no arguments with any way of ordering those four. So. <laughs> don't think you were don't think you were out of consideration oh, thank you <laughs> and now no, we actually want to now we'd like to, to ask you a few questions tomorrow so obviously your first season at Hawthorne and it's wonderful that you are in the Hawthorne colours what drew you to Hawthorne and could you talk to us about the actual recruitment process where you came in as one of the open age expansion signings um, what drew me to Hawthorne? Um, they were the one club that talked to me. <laughs> yeah, so um, they uh, talked to me, and then um, so I played in like the Colgate game against the under 18s, um, and then they got in touch with me, and then I didn't hear from, back from them for a little bit, which was fine. Um, I was just happy playing VFL. We were heading towards finals and things like that um and then about a week before pre-season started they they called me and told me that they wanted to um to sign me so uh yeah so then I was there <laughs> um yeah and they you know I knew I could see the girls coming through that had been signed and things like that and um the day before they signed me back Goddard called me and you know, she she had a few questions. I had a few questions for her about who they'd signed and why they'd signed them. And, you know, I thought their values aligned with my values. When you yeah. said that Hawthorne had contacted you earlier, was it Beck who'd contacted you? Was it Josh uh, from recruitment? Who who had been the first? Uh, Mitch. Mitch Cashin from recruitment. Yeah. So he reached out. We went out for coffee um just had a bit of a chat and then yeah kind of the ball just rolled from there really speaking of which you then spoke about sort of you were picked up the day before pre-season started now pre-season was only seven weeks until that first game against Essendon at Marvel Stadium what was an AFL pre-season like compared to a VFL pre-season um it was, I would say it was more structured, but in terms of actual, uh, like volume and things like that, I would say it was quite similar. So it wasn't a huge step up, nothing that I don't think I was prepared for, um, but it was definitely more, it was a little bit more, but not as much as I had imagined it to be. That's probably in part due to the fact the competition's still part-time and a lot of you were still having just finished the VFLW. There was probably a degree of yeah. you're already in match condition. Like you're probably going to be worse rather than better at the start of the season. Yeah. Having not played matches. Yeah. Being an expansion club, what were the expectations going into the season? Just to get better. Um, you know, I think we didn't know where we sat. Um, we didn't know how well we'd go, if we'd win any games, um, things like that. So I think the focus 
focus was more on progress and whether we win zero games, whether we win 10, just getting better each week. Um, and, yeah, I think we got rewarded for our progress. Um, three wins, GWS was an almost win, Freo was an almost win. So to have three wins, two almost wins in our first season, I think, is awesome. So, we okay, that's, that's pre-season. We mentioned it a bit earlier when you became one of the first 21 women to ever wear a brown and gold jumper, something that will never be taken from you, by the way. Um, round one, Marvel Stadium. Felt like a lot more than 12,000 there, but there were 12,000 there. You lay 14 tackles against a team we're not very fond of here at Soaring to New Heights, to the point where I refuse to say the name. Uh, how was that experience? First game of AFLW in that environment. Yeah, it was unreal. It's something that you think about when you're a little girl and you're playing Auskick and kicking the footy around the backyard. Um, so to actually experience it is so surreal and I think it's something I'll be forever grateful for um, and something that all the girls will be forever grateful for. It's not often that we as women in the AFL space get opportunities like that. So I think it's definitely something we'll be grateful for and it's, you know... It's an awesome way to kick off a season where we finally got 18 teams. Well, the AFL can perhaps remedy that and move away from the Henson health hazard and play more games at the stadium you own. <laughs> you preach into the choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and then obviously the next week after that, you grew up a St Kilda supporter. So playing against <laughs> St Kilda, uh, obviously the conditions much different. Played nighttime. Uh, underneath the, the roof at Marble compared to Box Hill City Oval, blustery Sunday afternoon. In terms of stadiums, how difficult is it when you're going from somewhere like a Marble where you've got these still conditions allowing for fast, free-flowing footy to then going back to some of these other grounds like your Box Hill City Ovals and your Swinburne Centres where you were, you're literally at uh, the weather's mercy? Yeah, it was... I think there's there was definitely a difference at Marvel. The game flowed, like you said. Skills were were elite, things like that. But because we train at these local ovals, it's not something that we're not used to. Um, so, you know, despite it being different, I don't think we were unprepared for it, which is good for us. So yeah, round five then, probably the last of the specific games that we've got in our notes here. That we've got two questions about this number one obviously being part of the historic first win and number two vex infamous bake at quarter time <laughs> firstly how how was that I, I assume we can't repeat what she said on our family friendly show <laughs> yeah um she definitely had a few choice words in there but i think it was more the fact that beck doesn't just give a spray for the sake of it like if she she was speaking you know giving us a spray because she knew we could do better than that um so I, obviously what she said kicked us into gear but the fact that she had to say it um was a huge factor and then you know for us to bounce back was really positive and and end up getting the win which is awesome yes yeah, so how does it feel then being again something no one else no one will ever take from you again one of the first 21 women to wear a brown and gold jumper in a win in the aflw so how, how was that <laughs> feeling amazing like when you're losing games in a row 
it does get disheartening, even if you are an expansion team and you've got a young side and you're new to the competition, it is disheartening. And we we knew that we were good enough to win. Um, so to get that first win was was unreal. Such a reward for effort. And you played a hand in the winning goal as well. There you go. So when someone asks a trivia <laughs> question, who kicked a big boy out on the wing, it will always be Smithy. It's me. <laughs> no one can take that away from you in terms yeah. of that niche trivia. <laughs> <laughs> now, you wear the number 24. There's a moment in, in one of the games in particular I want, to, I want to touch on. So for Hawthorne supporters, we think of Trent Crow with a broken foot in the grand final. Uh, you know, incredibly brave, courageous. Earlier this year, Denver Granger Barras going back with the flight of the ball. Against Richmond, there was a marking contest, and I believe it was the second quarter where you went back and were absolutely poleaxed by a person who would have been at least six foot six one. It almost looked like you had a smile on your face. You jumped back up, ready to go. <laughs> Has that always been the case, that physicality, the courageousness at the ball? Yeah, well, I um, grew up with a big family, so I'm one of eight kids. Um, and so six of those being boys. So I don't know if you guys have brothers, but they're pretty brutal. Um, and if you, you know, if you're playing backyard sports with them, they don't let you get away with things easy. So for me, it was always just, if you want the ball, you have to go get it. No matter how that is, no matter what you have to do, if you want the ball, you have to go get it. So yeah, I guess I've never just second guessed it. Um, you know, I don't know if, if, stupid and courageous are synonyms but maybe in the footy world they should be I think if there's a most courageous award at the end of season awards night I think it's got your name written on it already based on that <laughs> moment in round three because it was a hell of a crunch and uh, as I said when the cameras panned in close it almost looked like you had a smile on your face like is that the best you thought <laughs> I definitely felt it <laughs> Just a couple of questions now back back just about back to the midfield kind of thing. So mid-season, one thing I noticed, tracking sound bounce attendances and numbers, you, you seem to move out of the midfield a bit in terms of at the primary instance, and then you'd roll up from the from half forward a lot. Often, I think there were a couple of weeks where you were swapping with Aileen Gilroy, but Gilroy would attend the center bounce, and you two would switch pretty much straight away. It was something I, I noticed at Frank's in a few, fair few times. So how did you find that adaptation and that that's subtle role change? Yeah, it's just good just get to get Gilly closer to the ball. Uh, obviously, when she gets it, she's such a good user um, and, and gets the ball forward for us. And two, like when you've got a young midfield like me, Carol and Jazz, who are not as big a body, it's nice just to have someone in there who is a bigger presence Um you know, to kind of knock, knock the other girls about. So I personally really enjoyed it. Um, and then you get another role too because you get to be on the forward line and and change that dynamic. So I think it's just something, it was just something different that worked for our team. So in terms of that, obviously uh, DMAC is the midfield coach and Lou Watton is the forwards coach. At training, would you work with both? How would that work? Um, mostly with the midfield. Um, just because generally straight after the ball goes up, you become a midfielder really. Um, and, you know, in other teams I've played at and Hawthorne as well, it, when you play a high forward role, it's almost like you have licence to be another on-baller. 
Um, so, yeah, I think it. we definitely stayed with the midfielders. Thank God. I don't know if I could go down forward. <laughs> I don't think I'm smart enough to play forward li- in the forward line. <laughs> um, so, and ha- how hands-on is Beck as well? Just to kind of follow up on that. How, how hands-on is Beck at training or is, does she leave a lot to her line coaches? Um, a bit of both. Like when she wants us to understand something like she's never, she never just palms her work off. Um, but she also trusts the line coaches to convey the messages that she wants conveyed. So, you know, when it's her turn to speak, she'll speak, but she trusts the line coaches to, to deliver her message as well. It's fantastic. That's what you want from a coach to not only have that Absolutely. presence, but also the ability to trust those people who are working with them. Speaking of Beck, two questions here, uh, coach's pet and team pest. <laughs> um, oh, coach's pet. Um, that's so hard. There's a few. Is that bad? No, no. This is interesting. <laughs> so we've, we've heard few. two names uh, so oh. far. We've heard two. One was Perko because Perko oh. always brings Beck a coffee, but we have been told that they're good friends outside because they won the inaugural premiership together. So bonds that will never break. And then mm. the other one Dom. was Dom. Dom yes. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I would have said Perko. That was my first thought. But um, yeah, I would have to agree. And then Team Pest, probably Gilly. She knows how to stir the pot. Okay, that's you didn't, you didn't get stuck with her on the plane to and from Perth, did you? She wasn't next to you? or No, I was nice and comfy in the eggs row, thankfully. <laughs> Sorry, I just um, yeah. winced a little bit hearing that you were in an exit row, just thinking from experience and my disdain for seeing small people in exit rows. No, no blight on you. It's just personal <laughs> Being stuck in one exit rows with my very long legs. Yes, I can imagine. Pressing against the seat in front of me. <laughs> but yeah, we've also heard, and again, I think Tamara Luke was nominated, which was Lucy. So that was that felt very personal. Oh, mate, yeah. Your captain was very quick with her response as being a cash, as the team uh... was stuck with her on the flight to Sydney and said while it was only a you know 60 minute flight to Sydney it did feel a lot longer yeah <laughs> yeah I look I don't want to say I'm glad I wasn't sitting near a catch but no we do love her she's the life of the party um yeah we do love catchy now, when you're not playing football, uh, what is Tamara Smith doing? Oh, what is currently all I do is read books twenty four seven. I just what am I reading? Um, bit of everything. Bit of, I read whatever my sister recommends. I read. <laughs> um, I'm a fiction gal. Yeah, a lot of the girls are nonfiction. They are, a lot of sporting people are into biographies, but I think sporting people just like to talk about themselves too much 
So I, <laughs> I could think of nothing worse than reading their biography. Um, yeah, I'm a fiction person. So I just graduated, um, just finished my Bachelor of Exercise in Sports Science. Oh, congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah, so just reading, really. Now that you've finished your degree, is there, you got something lined up for next year or? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah, just applying for courses and things like that. Just putting the feelers out, seeing what happens with footy first before I, before I commit to anything. How was that studying while also playing professional football at the same time? Bloody brutal. <laughs> In my um, last two weeks of uni, um, I had 11 assignments due and <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And I live in Geelong. Um, so I was commuting as well. Um, so I would drive home from training. So on a Wednesday, 8am class the next day, drive for training. Yeah. So um, when I was done, I was a very happy person. 11 assignments in, in two weeks. In two weeks. I had the whole, the whole first half of the semester was great. I didn't have anything due and they saved it all for the last week. Hopefully the club was very lenient in terms of yeah. if you had to leave early or if there was some yeah. late. Uh, so we've touched on the off-season plans. One question we do have for you is obviously signing up this year, first season in the AFLW, one of 16 players that we had on the list. What does the ideal AFLW season look like for Tamara Smith? Ideal? In terms of timings, like just yeah. In so general? in terms, yeah. So in terms of ideal world, so AFLW. We know Gil listens to this uh, <laughs> religiously. What does yeah? What what does the AFLW season look like in its idealist form? Just the one that aligns with the men's. Just twenty two rounds, twenty three rounds, finals, play on the same grounds, have the same you know same advantages winter as much as I don't like playing in winter I do think it should stay over that winter period certainly would have been tough for you this year I mean you've had games played at Box Hill in torrential rain then you've had games in in New South Wales so at Henson Park that day we were sort of 27 28 degrees where at a stadium that we will continue to give drive-bys to because it was a health hazard (laughs) It certainly doesn't make it easy when uh, you're playing sort of that late winter, early springtime where the weather can change um, so frequently and so quickly. And what a wonderful answer there in terms of having it the same as, as what we see for the men's competition. And we're hoping that over the next few years, as the new uh, bargaining agreement comes out, that hopefully we will be able to see that. When you signed on at Hawthorne, is it a one-year contract you've signed? How does that work? Yeah, just the one year and then they just assess and and see. Yeah, it's hard when girls haven't played AFLW before because you don't really know how they're going to perform. So just the one year. Well, Beck, if you're listening to this, sign her up. Blank check, <laughs> ask how much she wants. We love seeing Tamara Smith in the Hawthorne Guernsey. You've, you've done a wonderful job throughout this season. Awesome, thank you. Not a problem. So now just to recap sort of what we've had so far this week, 
Uh, so if you go onto Twitter, onto HFC Saw, you'll notice that the new Twitter page has come up and that's where all the podcasts will start coming out from. We've also had a new logo to, uh, created by one of the gentlemen from Talking Hawks who's helped us out. So thanks very much to that, Mitch. This week, we had three interviews with Daz, where we spoke to Lucy Wales, we spoke to Tilly Lucas-Rod and also Lou Stevenson. And then tonight, we've had Tamara Smith joining us and we're very grateful for Tamara for giving us her time. We've also seen an article on Akesh. We've got an article coming out about Duff for her final game and also the match. I put that out. I've put that in. That'll hopefully come out tonight or tomorrow, I would think. Beautiful. Put that one in. And then we'll have the match review that'll come out through Talking Hawks later on this week. And then what's to come over the next few weeks? Well, Liam and I will not be going away. So we've got the end of season review coming up as well as our end of season awards night and the club's end of season awards night. Uh, And hopefully we'll have more podcasts similar to this one where we'll have some of the fantastic stars from the Hawthorne AFLW club joining us. So, Tamara, thank you very much for your time. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you very much for your efforts this season. As I said, the the calling card for the Hawthorne team this year has been hard work, determination and heart. Uh, And as Hawthorne supporters, we are incredibly proud of everything that you have done. As a collective, you've made our, our club complete and we're very, very grateful. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Not a problem. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Soaring to New Heights. And until next time, go Hawks.